Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I'm your host, Camry Widmer, and I am extremely excited to introduce our guest today, Steve Gander. Steve is a lifelong friend who I knew played a really big part in the industry and has accomplished a lot of things, but I never realized just how much. This man has put on rodeos for the president. He has led the path to indoor rodeos all across the country and the world. He was one of the very first people to bring dirt to hockey rink to produce rodeos in downtown venues. He's produced the world's largest beach party. He owned a horse owned by John Wayne and has just done so much for the industry and rodeo and paving the path and making history. He is a visionary, a risk taker, an envelope pusher, and a wave maker, and he has so many cool things to share about the industry and how he got his start, the changes that he's seen happen, where it's headed, and what we can do to help. Also joining us today on the RodeoKids.com podcast are Hunter Ream and my mother, Sharon Widmer, who used to work for Steve. So we welcome them and look forward to getting some feedback from you guys on what you think. And please give us a share, give us a follow, and tell all your friends about it. Now you can sit back and crank up the volume and listen to what our rodeo producing, mentoring friend, Steve Gander, has to say. Welcome to the RodeoKids.com podcast. I'm really excited to have you on here. I have literally known you my entire life and did some research on things yesterday that I had no clue about. So, I am really excited to learn more about you and your story and your journey. Let's just start at the beginning. Like, what made you decide that you wanted to be a cowboy or involved in rodeo? Yes, and everybody wanted to be a cowboy, at least at some time in their life. I was 15 when I saw my first rodeo. And on the way home from that rodeo, I said, I'm going to be a rodeo cowboy. And I went to college, and uh, I was... Uh, starting or trying to rodeo a little bit and I had a economics class and we were talking about sunken costs and uh, the next morning I went into the professor's office and told him that I thought I wanted to quit college and rodeo full-time that's how I I made the commitment caught my my college degree a little bit later I tried bull riding and bareback riding a little bit of saddle bronc riding, but mostly bull riding their back. I did not know you were a roughie at heart. <laughs> yeah, at heart. <laughs> well, cool. So, how did that go for you? Pretty good. I was able to get a job with a rodeo company, and I learned a lot. Which rodeo company was that? Called Ladding Rodeo Productions out of Chicago. He was a, a black rodeo producer, a competitor himself, and a teacher in Chicago, and uh, probably one of the smartest guys I ever was around and consider him one of my mentors. Okay, cool. What's one of the biggest lessons you learned from him? Empathy for other people. He was extremely, I, I didn't even know what the word empathy was until I met uh, Thoreau. And he was very good at trying to understand where the other side was coming from. And that's, that's been extremely helpful to me. 
That's really important, especially as a producer, to know what people want. All contracts have to be a win-win for, for everybody. Yeah. So after that, what happened? You worked for the producer, and then what? Well, I, I, I learned that I wanted to become a rodeo producer, the world's best rodeo producer, more than I wanted to become a world champion. And uh, at the time, I was I was uh, still taking some taking some college classes, but I was working construction during the day, and I uh, rented McElroy Auditorium in Waterloo, Iowa, and took a job stocking grocery shelves at night so I could have enough money to make the advance payments on producing my first rodeo. Wow. How did you go about finding like all the stock contractors and the people that it takes to make a rodeo run? Well, by that time, having competed some, why you got to know people around. Of course, I hired the company that I was associated with. It, it worked out. I mean, didn't get rich, but I had enough money to go try it and do it again. Yeah. So your first rodeo was all in all a success. Yes. Yes. And then after that, like what happened after that? Just uh, kept dibbling in it a uh, couple rodeos a year and uh, created my own business plan. And my business plan was that I was not going to have my future dependent upon somebody else's budget, which meant that I was not going to deal with rodeo committees. I was going to underwrite and produce the events myself. And then I even narrowed the, the project down more and decided that I really just wanted to do indoor rodeos and do production in major markets. And and that was our success was we weren't dependent on somebody else's budget. Yeah. If we failed, we were going to fail. But fortunately, we did well for 27 years. Why did you choose indoor rodeos versus outdoor rodeos? Part of the reason was that there were not very many winter rodeos, very few. And I just kind of thought that was going to be a niche place for me also. Yeah, well, and um, from what I've read, you were the first person to put dirt on an ice hockey rink. Well, it, it, it's my understanding we're the first ones to do it in the United States. Oh, okay. Where, where we put dirt on ice. Um, it, I think it had actually been done in Canada at one place. And, and I found out about that about the same time that we were doing it. When we started out, we did not know we were doing it. And we were in, we ended up kind of having this doing the same thing that they were doing. We were putting a homo soot down on the ice, then visqueen, then plywood, then visqueen, and then the dirt. And that was to keep the dirt from getting into the onto the ice. And that's one of the things that helped make it successful in the United States for truck pulls, uh, uh, motorcycle jumps, everything. But up until 1980, nobody had done it. You opened the door for a lot of industries. Oh, yes. Uh, even our marketing, when, when I started, 60 to 70% of the advertising budget for rodeos, circus, any type of family show was a newspaper. And I determined that television, or that rodeo was a visual. And I put about 60 to 70% of my budget into television. And that's one of the things that really launched us. We really went forward. And of course, back then, you only had three television networks, not four or 500. 
right. a different ballgame. Things change. Yes, they do. <laughs> I know that like now they say with all of the social media and all of the different channels and just so many different things coming at people from every direction all the time, like where it used to take three impressions for somebody to remember your name and what you're doing. It's up to like 16 now. It, it's, a, it's a different ballgame and, and you've got to be very, very smart what you do. I do think it's very cost effective now if you know what you're doing. Um, but people are hit by so many, bombarded by so many things. And you, you have to reach them with more than one of the, one of the things in your media mix. You yeah. have to hear it from more than one or two things. And yeah. it has to be believable. Multiple medias and believable. What is your number one selling point on bringing somebody to a rodeo? That is a very, very good question. The short answer is that there's there's not one thing because different people come for different reasons. They're, they're different age. Some people come because maybe they you know, grew up on a ranch, but they went to their uncle's ranch, and that kind of reminds them of those days. Somebody else is excited about something else. There's no one particular thing. But of all the surveys that I've ever done, I'm totally convinced that people aren't, don't really want rodeo. They don't want football or whatever it is. What they want is fun and excitement. They're willing to take their billfold out of their pocket, reach in the billfold, get their cash or their credit card, and buy a ticket if they know that they're going to have fun and excitement. And I, I think that's what we have to do in our marketing is convince people that it's family entertainment and it's fun and exciting that they're going to get their money's worth. Yes, that's very, very true. And yeah, you know, we've been talking about different things with, you know, the industry and how like rodeokids.com can make a difference in what we have to offer. And my mom has shared a lot of that same insight that she learned from you. You know, it, it does have a lot to do with keeping the family involved too because once you get like a kid involved and you get mom and dad and grandma and grandpa and if you can make it a family affair and continue that tradition that keeps people hooked you're you're what you're doing with rodeo kids is is the new version of what was done before before families were introducing their kids because they themselves had rodeoed or knew somebody that did, or an uncle grew up, had a ranch, that type of thing. And there was Westerns on TV. Now there's not Westerns on TV. Um, so what you're doing with Rodeo Kids is replacing the old Saturday morning Westerns and replacing the firsthand experience that somebody else in the family had. In today's world, only 2% of the population knows somebody that's on a farm. Wow. I didn't and, know and that. It another thought for your your. You know, things are always changing. And as I look back on my career and that, and as things that have changed over the years in, in rodeo production, in, in, the, on, in the competitive arena, and uh, on advertising, all those things, everything new was always created by somebody that was younger. Can, can you think of anything that's new today? that was started by somebody that as old as me that's 70 years old new ideas come from the young mm -hmm. fresh perspective fresh outlook on things that two percent number that's like pretty alarming i didn't realize that it was that scary. 
Yeah, especially living in Iowa where we're surrounded by farms and, you know, we don't see nearly as many horses per se as we used to. But when you're and, and I have this conversation with a lot of people, when you're in the midst of of it, when you're in the middle of it and you all your friends, all your connections come from that, then you don't really realize just how small it is. Right. And, and, and because. I think because uh, I did not come from a rodeo background, that opened my eyes up to the possibility for rodeo production because I saw rodeo, I think, different than what some of the other competitors did. Yeah. So what are some things that you did during your productions that set yours apart? Well, I mean, a lot of the things that we did when I started, are standard today. For example, if you go to a large indoor uh, rodeo, there's going to be instant replay. A lot of outdoors have instant replay telescreens. Well, when we started, some of the big markets had replay screens. Secondary markets did not have replay screens. We carried our own projector and uh, telescreen with us on the road. In the mid-80s, late-80s, that projector cost $55,000. Wow. And the lens cost $75,000 and only had a throw of about 2,000, 2,200 illumination. Now, today, you can buy a projector and, and, and computer system to do instant replay for less than $30,000, and it's not much bigger than your computer. A little bit thicker, but you know, less than $30,000 and has about twice illumination. So, I mean, back then, nobody was doing it. The other thing that we did, we did finales. We did uh, opening pageants. Uh, we just did a lot, a lot more of those things. What do you that, mean by that, an that opening? That was being done at the time. Yeah. What do you mean by an opening well, we pageant? Do, opening pageant was something with, we did the national anthem and then we would do a theme. One of them, for example, was, uh, did you ever want to be a cowboy? And we had a little kid sitting on a buck and shoot. And then we had smoke and we had the mountain man come walking through the smoke and the rancher and his wife and just different people. One time we had a white buffalo and and an Indian on a white horse with white white leathers we had as an open. So a lot of them were historic. One we did a a tribute to to Roy Rogers, you know, with... uh, Palomino horse. Mm-hmm. Uh, one year we bought John Wayne's horse dollar and did a tribute to uh, John Wayne. That went with us to New York City and Washington, D.C. and everything else. And the most incredible thing was, might have been the most simplest opening that we did, but we, we had men want to come backstage and touch the horse. It was incredible. Yeah, I saw that in that article and that, I mean, which, what a superstar, like the horse himself. And of course, John Wayne is a superstar, but that's just really cool. I remember as a little girl, like the openings with the lights that always went around. We we call that the ballyhoo. Yes, yes. I still like the the song that you introduced it with. Like every time I hear that, it still like makes my heart race. Like the rodeo is about to begin. 
Yeah. Well, and that's what we, we have at Old Church. Now, today, that's one of the things I did kind of a pet peeve with me when I go to a rodeo and everybody has this hot song. They play music for the hour before the rodeo. They have the hot song and there's no dead air and they go right into the rodeo and the poor audience doesn't even know when the rodeo started. Yeah. We would always play music before the rodeo and then Alfred would say two minutes to rodeo and then there'd be no, no music. And by the end of this two minutes, people are starting to think, oh, it's longer than two minutes. There must be something wrong, blah, blah, blah. And then that overture music would hit and they knew the rodeo was going to sit. And we had 100% attention of, we had the attention of 100% of the audience. Where today, they're still talking. They don't know the rodeo started. Mm -hmm. Hmm. I can guarantee you that at a Steve Gander production, there was a production format and his staff was also on their toes. Like, this isn't just another rodeo. You better be where you're supposed to be. And it was a, a tightly, most of the time, <laughs> scripted performance. It was a production. Highly scripted, but but we, they always knew that when this was said or this song played or whatever, this is what's going to happen. So you could be in the background, not even seeing what's in the arena, and you knew what needed to be happening and what you needed to do. Everybody had their, there would be a cue that would be, uh, of light for everybody, so to speak, and they knew what was going on, and that was when we used to say it was timed and tuned to perfection. Yes, it makes me think of like a theatrical production. When you go to Chicago and Cleveland and Jacksonville, Florida and Portland, Oregon, and those type of places, your competition for is Ringling Brothers Circus, uh, NBA basketball, Sesame Street, all this other stuff. And you've got to be able to put on a production that competes with them because that audience has saw that stuff. It's, it's yeah. very, very important. Yeah. How did you go about choosing your entertainment that you had? You mean as far as the concerts or the, uh, the specialty the concerts, acts? The concerts, the clowns, the specialty acts. Well, we always try to work into a theme. We, we start, we got, a lot of people got their start with us uh, over the years. So I can't say that we, we, it was kind of a combination of people that were already named talent and up and comers who kind of caught our attention. And it, a lot of it had to be that we liked their attitude, you know, that they wanted to be involved with us. Uh, as far as the country music, we, we really lucked out on that. Um, we kind of had our own formula back then you could call Nashville, find out who was going to be releasing a song by a certain date. And you, you, if you had confidence that that song could be a top 10 or even a number one, we normally knew it took from 10 to 12 weeks for it to get from the time it was released to become a number one. And that's when we, that's how we would hire people. We got Brooks and Dunn, brand new man, who was number one We um, when we had them. Neil McCoy's first song went number one with us. I mean, there's there's a lot of people. And that formula worked for us for a long time. And that formula does not work today. And why doesn't it work today? Because it's too yeah, easy to is it too easy to access? Is that why it doesn't work today? I, I don't know the answer to that. I think before you when you had a lot of mom and pop radio stations and you had a local programmer, that local programmer and that local audience is what determined what's going to be number one song. Today, what determines going to be the number one song is a couple of programmers around the United States 
and a couple record companies. They've got a big investment, and they're they're going to shove it down your throat. Hmm. That's my opinion. You didn't hear it from me, though. Okay, so to do all of this, like, that's a big risk that you took buying that projector. And there's a big risk in buying John Wayne's horse. Like, that's a lot of money at that time that you were doing that. Like, how did you muster up the courage to take those risks? Well, boy, that's a really good question, too, because when I was younger, I... I don't know that I knew that I couldn't do it. I, we we kind of did things in spite of ourselves. I, if I was to add, do the same thing today, I'd probably have to think about it a few days before I could do it. We're back sometimes, then when you did it. Yeah, ignorance and, uh, is bliss sometimes. Yeah, and it's a different world. I mean, the the man the my business plan worked for us in Iowa because our banker owned the bank and he he lent money to farmers so he understood risk. In today's world, you almost have to fit into somebody's computer mode in order to get a loan, even to get a loan for a car, you know. If mm-hmm. you don't have a job that you're working at such and such a place, why it's 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 harder for you. So we were very fortunate that we started our business when we did. Um I remember the banker asked me, well, I don't know anything about rodeo. Tell me a little bit, or I don't know anything about your company. Tell me a little bit about your, your company. And I told him, I said, just like, almost like your farmers, except a farmer's only got two or three crops. I've got about 20 crops a year. And I said, I got two or three of them that aren't going to make any money, but the rest of them will. He said, well, I can understand that. That's very relatable. Uh, money. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Definitely uh, makes sense in a non-rodeo person's eyes. I did get my first loan. When I started my company, I got my first loan based on my reputation. I had worked for a seed corn company selling seed corn. The banker golfed with my boss on a regular basis, and my boss had kind of sang my praises long before I quit the company. And decided to start the rodeo company. So who you know matters. No, so, who you know matters, and and reputation is 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 everything, and your character. And, and the advice I give to anybody else going into business, a rodeo producer or, or anything else, is, and, and I didn't have this a whole lot of it when I started because I wasn't smart enough to, to ask for it. Is look for a mentor. Somebody who's already doing that particular thing and is successful. Men, those people that are successful are willing to share their knowledge and their expertise. And uh, you, you, uh, you honor them by, by asking. Well, that's why I wanted to ask you to be on this, because clearly you have a large plethora of knowledge and experience um, in the Western industry and rodeo. And um, I mean, you've paved the way for so much of it. And, you know, we're kind of, we're trying to do the same thing in a different era, you know, to continue paving the way for new kids and new families and stuff. So everything that you have to say is taken to heart and hopefully we can take bits and pieces of it and apply it to this day. Your, your rodeo kids is a great idea and it a long long overdue and it, it might be the perfect timing for it 
because of the television packages that we have now with the PRCA and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's kind of, you know, God's got a time for everything. And um, we've been talking about how there's just been phone calls I haven't made and things that I've been resistant to and just waited. And, and now it's all coming together. You know, it's just God's timing is everything. And I think we're right where we need to be at the time we need to be there. Yeah, it's, it's a good time. So we got our fingers crossed. There's no better time than now. So you also produced an event for the president, Ronald Reagan. What was that like? That was pretty awesome. That, that, that was so busy and so hectic. I almost, there's a lot of it I don't even remember. <laughs> uh, but it, it was an idea that Matt, Malcolm Baldrige was the Secretary of Commerce and Matt Baldrige was a team rover. And and I knew that, and we did the first Pro Tour telecast for the PRCA in Casper, Wyoming. And I went up to Ken Stimler, who was the CEO at the time, and, su- and suggested that we do a command performance for President Reagan. At, and we already had dates at the Cap Center in Washington, D.C. So he said he thought it was a good idea, and he'd look into it about Four months later, he calls me up and said, hey, are you still going to do this rodeo for in Cap Center? And I said, yes, we are. Definitely. It's definitely happening. And he said, well, they're they're interested. And um, about two months or so before the rodeo was to take place in September, why we finalized the deal. We had meetings with the, at the White House with the White House staff and Secret Service. And uh, that was that was an excellent, excellent excellent uh experience yeah that's i mean that would be so cool so how did you did you have certain cowboys and cowgirls that you selected to come and compete at that or how'd that work well we had we we had a regular rodeo there uh and then uh the prca had all their world champions invited and stuff to for the presidential performance okay but it was our crew that did the production it was our announcer it was uh our Specialty acts. It was ninety percent of our production. We slipped in a few things on the presidential side. It was quite interesting because at that time, China and Russia were having issues, and we had to have the Chinese ambassador or representative exactly the same distance from the president as the Russian in two different directions. Uh, and stuff like that. We had 11,000 members of the Diplomatic Corps attended that rodeo. And then, what an experience. That just, that sounds amazing. And what a good thing for the whole industry, like to be there in front of the legislators and in front of the president and being able to set that example of what rodeo is in the way that you did it, which was a great way um, and such a good production to shed that light on what we do. And it'd be nice if we could have that opportunity again and get people on our side. Yeah, more has to be done to get agriculture in into the homes of people in the big cities and I, I'm, so that they understand. It, it's important for our future. And it's important for all of agriculture. Yes. Hunter and I had a conversation the other day and we were talking about like even in calf roping and how if you can explain to people and Hunter you can unmute yourself and explain that too if you want but 
just how, if you can explain the watch what the horse is doing and what the cowboy is doing and the athleticism involved in it. And then it takes away the focus of what looks and is perceived to be as bad and how much of a difference, like how that educates people about what they're doing instead of just, oh, that didn't look good. Uh, it, it, it's, again, there's, that's one of my beats with our um, industry. Sometimes we we take too many things for granted that's going on in the arena. And we're not doing a good job of educating the spectators. And calf roping is probably one of the best athletic events in, in the sport. Calf ropers are, are certainly the best athletes. They've got these awesome horses. There's an awful lot of work that gets done in just seven seconds. And it's important work. Um, there's a lot of uh, six, cal six calves out in the pasture that would not get doctored properly if somebody couldn't rope them. Absolutely. And that, yeah, that's what I was going to say. I mean, I just in the little those little conversations I've had with people, um, one that are either fans of the sport, but not past competitors, you know, they just always been, like you said, the kind of agriculturally based fans, um, or even like a group of kids my age in their early twenties from Orange County, California that have no understanding of horses. And I talked to them for 10 minutes and they're, um, they're like, man, I want to come watch now, you know, and they want to watch the sport. Instead of, like you said, I mean, I'm partial to calf roping, but uh, I think a little bit of education goes a long way to to create a true fan, too. And I, I would just, I would imagine you probably have that experience in your years of producing and seeing a lot of people across the country. Absolutely. I, educating the spectator is the most important thing in developing them to become fans of the sport. That That is the most important thing. And, and we've got to do a better job. Of, of educating the spectators. How do you think we do that? Just let them know how valuable that horse is and, and how much training it takes. And and the, the other thing that, that the spectator, if you're, you know, at a, going to a rodeo in Bellevue, Texas, and you're from Bellevue, Texas, and that cowboy is competing, and the announcer says he just won Pendleton, those spectators don't care as much about that cowboy win in Pendleton as they is they as they want to know about the story behind the story. Was this guy born into rodeo? Did he come from the city and worked hard to get become a rodeo? What's his education? Does he have something else going on? They want to be able to identify with that guy. Example, barrel racer. You have a barrel racer and she's a teacher and the announcer says, and she's also a teacher, the place goes crazy. You tell somebody he's a world champion bull rider and they get a little bit of a close because they can't identify with that, but they can identify with a teacher or somebody who's a firefighter and he just, just got back from fighting the fires in California. That's what gets the audience excited and Bill stands because they're able to identify with that contestant when they know something about that contestant, not that he won Pendleton. Mm -hmm. How do people like, you know, Hunter and I are both – we're young. We're ambassadors for the sport. How do we go about making a difference, in your opinion? Well, you can do something every day, you know, and, and a lot of what you do, you might think not might not be noticed, but it does. And how you act and uh, present yourself is very important to our sport. But also... You know, just the conversation that we've had 
have that conversation with people. Ask them questions. Hey, if if you haven't gone to a rodeo, why haven't you gone? You know, if you went when you were 10 years old, did you have a good time? Well, why haven't you been back? Get them to think of, start thinking about it. Mm-hmm. The, the one thing that I've seen and, and like, anyway, we talked about a little the other day is even just accessibility. Like, uh, I mean, I do it for a living and I've done it for four years and I sometimes have to go searching for information. Um, and I've actually thought about before, it's like, how do people even find out that rodeos are going on? I mean, most of the time it's associated with a fair or a local event. To me, the marketing and the technology and the, the accessibility has to catch up with the times. Like it's 2021, you know, um, there's more, you know, social media advertising and Facebook ads going on when you're in the geographic area. Sometimes you can see things, but um, to me, it almost is like anymore. It's as much as you put something in front of somebody's face, you know, is when they're they're apt to, to take action on it. Well, I, I think social media has helped rodeo a lot in the last few years, mm-hmm. um, because your you're, people that are into rodeo can share it with their friends, where before it wasn't shared, and you had to depend upon a poster on a, on a telephone pole someplace to know that the rodeo was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I, I think one of the best things that's happened to us in, for a long time is RFD TV and the Cowboy Channel, and and it's not just them putting on the rodeos. It's what they did before the NF before this the NFR last year for four or five hours before every performance. They had all these special programs, you know, where they talked to the athletes and got to know the athletes on an individual basis and it kind of reminded you of the NFL and what um, Fox Sports does every year for four or five hours beforehand. And I think what the Cowboy Channel has done, it, that, that's gonna go a long way. Uh, in, in developing that. And, and the viewing numbers for rodeo are double from what they were when we were on CBS. Mm-hmm. So people are definitely turning into it. Um, you know, and success brings opportunities and it brings problems and issues. And, and uh, that, that's going to happen as, as we grow. But I think, you know, we're a visual sport. And if we do a good job of educating our spectators, We'll have lifelong fans, but we've got to do a better job of educating the spectators. And and that takes, you know, that's announcers, that's rodeo committees. You know, some of the rodeo committee, they absolutely love the rodeo, but they they don't pay attention enough to the spectators sometimes. You know, they're more interested in what world champions they got coming to the rodeo. And the most important thing for a successful rodeo is to have spectators. If you, in, I don't care what anybody says. You can have all, every world champion at your rodeo. And if that rodeo lost money, it's not a good rodeo. Mm-hmm. Not mm-hmm. in my book. You got to have butts in the seats, right? Bits. Butts, have butts in the seats. We call it bits. <laughs> B-I-T-S. Butts in the seats. Yeah. Talk about your book a little bit. 2001. So it's definitely outdated. <laughs> uh, in, in 2001, I never, I did not address cable television because in 2001, cable television did not provide you honest numbers as far as eyeballs watching your show. And 
when I sold the company in 2004, uh, the other thing in 2001, I did not address the internet. And when I sold the company in 2004, late 2004, 37% of our advanced ticket sales were through the internet. That's how fast things changed. Wow. And they're doing a great job with it, like, you know, getting people to interact and educate with what the Moorheads and Three Hills Radio Company are doing with the world's toughest rodeo with that hour before getting yeah. on the ground, getting to go see the bulls. Like you said, touching dollar was such a huge deal. And now they can go down and sit on a bull and see the buck and horses and I mean, that alone is what keeps people coming back to these indoor venues that you started putting rodeos on 30, 40 years ago. Uh, I mean, you know, big, the big thing now in major sports, you know, is this interactive display areas outside the, the court, you know, in basketball and stuff. Well, we were doing interactive stuff for, with the spectators in the mid 80s. What are I'm they... really dating myself, aren't I? <laughs> That's okay. What are some things that you are that you see for pro rodeo that are working and some other things? I mean, obviously, we need to educate the fans. We know that we're not doing enough of that. But what else is working and what's not working that people that are listening to this, parents, kids that are coming up that are the future of rodeo, what are some things that they should be aware of as we move forward? I don't know that I have a crystal ball. I, I, I can say that some of the things that they're doing are very good, are going to help them in the future. I, I'm very impressed with the number of parents that are willing to donate their time and expense to help the kids uh, learn the sport of rodeo and then haul them to uh, rodeo events. And I, you know, I don't remember that being done for kids 35, 40 years ago. So the involvement of the parents on the kids' uh, in, interest in the sport uh, is very, very impressive. The other thing that's impressive is the, the talent that's coming up in the sport. Um, I think these calf ropers and these team ropers and, and, and everybody is got far, these kids have got far more talent than what whoever had. I mean, I didn't start rodeoing until I was 20 or 21 years old. And, you know, today you got kids that are riding, roping and riding like, we used to ride a bicycle, you know, and it's almost second nature to him. I know my stepson, when, when, he, when he team roped, you know, he could go Oklahoma City, the USTR, and act like nothing was going. And I'd have been, you know, just about froze with, with the competition down there. But it's no big thing. But So I, 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 the talent right now is incredible. I don't know where they're learning it so well. I mean, it, it's just, just incredible where the, where the talent's coming from. What I've said a lot this year is kudos to the guys that are winning, you know, that are in the top 15, uh, at least in the calf roping. But there's not a big difference between number 15 and number 49. No. I mean, it's, no. it's, it's minuscule at best. I mean, it's, it's like little things happen at one rodeo that paid you seven grand and the next guy didn't get paid. I mean, um, that's how it felt like for me all summer anyway, you know, and it's, it's crazy. I know the, the, it's a beautiful thing, but it's also kind of a sad thing in that it's becoming a little bit of an elitist, um, kind of rich man game, you know, like for me personally, I mean, I can't afford to buy a hundred thousand dollar horse, but I know guys that have spent that much multiple times over. And that's the only side of it that I don't like that I, I would be like to try and 
you know, help change that somehow because then you're, you're keeping a kid at home that could be the best in the world, but he just can't afford to, to get on the road, you know, or he can't afford to compete for that much money. I, I agree with you wholeheartardly and I understand that. I, I don't know how, you know, li- life is not meant to be fair and even. That's the only thing I can say to someone. But I still believe there's always an opportunity to get out there. And and if you're an up-and-coming calf roper or bull rider or whatever you it is, find a mentor. Find somebody who knows what they're doing. They'll teach you the ropes. And through that person, you'll meet the p- other people that can help you. Um, mm-hmm. It, it's, um, and then you, you have to have the right character yourself, you know, so that they're, that they're willing to help. Mm-hmm. But it, it's still America. You, you can make it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So what are some things that we should be aware of? Things that aren't working that as the members of these associations that you feel we should be, um, doing our best to make a change. Well, you have a lot of tough questions. I, 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 it, 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 well, the thing is that if you do one thing, I just had a discussion about this on some on another subject in, in the sport. You do one thing, one one aspect of the sport, say a committee's got a problem, you know, with uh, turnouts. You try to solve that turnout, but then you end up hurting another aspect of the sport. So there, there's such a cause and effect to everything because we have, Committees, we have contestants, we have stock contractors, we have contract personnel, we have sponsors, and it, it's it's impossible. You know what helps one per, what helps one segment hurts something something else, and we just have mm-hmm. we just have to keep muddying through, and, and things kind of work out over time. But I think the thing that the sport always has to be concerned of is do not make a knee jerk reaction to one small crisis because you're going to create another crisis. You've got to take the time to work it out and get all sides involved. Yeah. I mean, that's just a life lesson in general, um, but we can yeah. apply that to rodeo too. Um, Mr. Mr. Gander, you're on the, on the board of directors, correct? Yes, sir. The PRC. So, um, and you know, this is my fourth year with my card and I've, I've learned a lot in the last probably year and a half. Um, Cause I, like everybody knows that knows my goals. They're not gold buckle focused, but they're about growing the sport. And I would be, I'm curious how I feel like there is, like you said, there's a lot of uh, moving parts when it comes to rodeo. Um, I think the thing that I've seen the most on the road is the disconnect, like the, the contestants and the committees. And like you said, the contractors, and I think even from my experience, uh, you know, the contestants relationship with the PRCA, I feel like there's a big disconnect across there. And it's probably because we're not getting paid like a salary, you know, I mean, everybody's got it. Like we got to focus on winning so we can make money and the committee's got to focus on putting on the rodeo and contractors got to focus on getting their stock places and everybody's got to focus on like their purpose. But if it could all come together more as a whole, I would think it could just, grow exponentially so i don't know actually i think it's better than it used to be um yeah there was a time when committees were not part of the association so basically they didn't even have to follow the rules if they didn't want to whoever had the most amount of money make whatever rule they want to and 
didn't matter what the PRCA rule book was, the Cowboys still went to went to the rodeo. Mm. Um, so now, so there's more of it, but but it kind of also makes it a little more complicated. Um, there's getting to be more money in the sport because of television. Sponsorships mm. is growing. The, the pie for the sport is getting bigger, better. It doesn't mean it's going to ever be fair or safe. Who's to say what's what's fair, you know? Um, mm. in, in the case of the PRCA, 95% of the money that we generate, that's generated through the association with sponsorships and memberships and, and that type of thing, goes back to the membership. Um, and the majority of that goes back to the contestants with special events like the uh, circuit finals and, and uh, things like that. Okay. Um, so the, I, I don't have a good answer for you. The, I don't know if there's a good answer. <laughs> well, I think these kind of conversations are awesome. You know, I mean, the fact that even you, like you, you know, all of us get to talk face to face, I think those kind of little things, not that everybody has time to do this all the time, but it's a, I think it's a great step forward, you know, and kind of gets everybody on the same page, hopefully anyway. I, I think every, every committee that has a PRCA rodeo is in love with the sport of rodeo. So they're, mm -hmm. they're not doing anything that they're, you know, they think that they're doing what's best for the sport in their own background and their own experience. Mm -hmm. Um, and they have to make a decision of what what they're w willing to do with the Cowboys, but uh, they also have to serve this their sponsors and their ticket buyers. Sometimes that conflicts with the Cowboys too. Um, in the same way with a stock contractor, he wants to do something for the for the Cowboys, but he's only got so much money for the price for the livestock that he can buy. He spends too much money. The committee's not going to be able to hire him. Vice versa. I mean, it, it's a balancing act every, every week for everybody. Um, but I'll, I will say this, and you can talk to anybody that rode you 25 years ago. Well, livestock's better today than it's ever been. Prize money is better than it's ever been. 20 years ago, about 50% of the payoff at a rodeo was entry fees. Today, mm -hmm. it's a fraction of that. I'll, I'll bet you it's down to 5, 6, 7%. Is that even 20 years ago? I mean, I remember Bill Huber, you know, he's a Iowa fan favorite yep, around yep. here. And we were sitting at Fort Madison one year. Maybe I was talking to Jackie and Cody was rodeoing hard and still is, but it was a few years ago. And she said, Bill made the point to Cody that, you know, these, you're trying to go rodeo and do the same exact dream for the same exact added money for the same exact entry fees that you were, you know, that Bill was when he was going. And now trucks are more expensive, trailers are more expensive, horses are more expensive and all of that. And that was just, you know, six years ago. And I feel like just in the last 10, five, 10 years, the money, the added money and the opportunities um, and the new people pushing the envelope to challenge um, the way things always have always been um, has really expanded and it gets to keep expanding and growing. But I do think that I mean, just from what I've been at an age that I can be really involved, I've seen a big change. Yeah, it, there has been a big change. In so many different um, places, it's just hard to find young people with the ambition to to step and be a, a plumber on this and that. Are you finding, is that 
true in rodeo in general. I know Cammie's got a ton of uh, very ambitious families and kids that are all about rodeo and, and they've got the work ethic of of 10 millennials, you know, if you're going to generalize. But what do you see for the future in terms of numbers? I, I think there's enough contestants out there, but maybe our associations need to kind of join up and let people cross over a little bit and be a little more inclusive and not so exclusive among ourselves. Um, and create maybe create more membership categories where maybe somebody only competes, you know, in a particular circuit and, and not, not going for the world and they don't have a chance to go for the world in, but they got to stay in the circuit and it becomes more affordable for them, especially if they got a job and a family that there's a commitment to them. Um, but I, th I think there's more contestants out there. We just got to be a little more inclusive. Yeah, I know that uh, Cami and Hunter both are, are looking at who's coming up and how do we keep enough people interested in rodeoing. Um, yeah, that's that's what and, they're and, doing. And, and, and we and we need those small rodeos in, in Iowa, and we need small rodeos all over in the different associations because that's our farm team. You know, local high school, they they they're they're the farm team for the future of football. But rodeo doesn't have a farm team except for youth rodeo, uh, high school rodeo itself, and and uh, smaller rodeo associations, statewide associations. That's our farm team, and in PRC, we're we're wanting to support, put more support into um, the youth organizations than that we've not been involved with in the past. Mm -hmm. Yeah, which I think is great. And that's something that I've. Uh, had on my mind and heart for a long time and I need to take better action at it and, and maybe this is a great place to start. I know uh, Camry your name's going to trip me up. Uh, Camry <laughs> sent, sent you the idea. <laughs> I'll I give did, you a cheat. Uh, you can just say Cammy. Cammy? Okay, I'm going to say Cammy. Um, <laughs> it's just like everybody butchers my last name. I feel guilty any time I butcher somebody else's. Um <laughs> But like I see, you know, the NBA has like the NBA cares, NFL has NFL play 60. Those are their kind of outreach opportunities. And, um, I know like myself, I'm going to start offering one-on-one -on -one coaching for what it's worth. You know, I don't have the NFR accolade or world title, you know, to go with my name, but I've learned and spent years living with the best and, um, I just feel like maybe that's like you said, including the, the um spot or the associations intertwining a little more you know maybe promoting getting pro guys to go to a high school rodeo like uh i went to high school in arizona and you just gave me the idea like i i want to try and make time to maybe go to a high school rodeo and just interact with a handful of kids yeah. you know and, and see if that's something that builds them up um because i think the yeah. most important thing is giving back it definitely would if everybody spent a little bit of time with those kids, it help elevate them. Yeah. How do you think that we could get the contestants more involved in doing stuff like that, taking their free time and going to their local high school or elementary school? I mean, where it starts? You just have to encourage them. 
uh, you just have to encourage them to, to do it. And I mean, it starts with one person and then it, it multiplies. And when you do that yourself and you have a good experience, share that good experience with another contestant, encourage them to do it. I think um, a really strong company that's already doing it, like RodeoKids.com, could be very instrumental. Or even having, like, professionals, and this is just brainstorming, I guess, but having professionals say, hey, like, okay, we're going to send you a no more than three-minute video. It's not going to take very long with what we learned on the road today and encourage somebody else to get involved, and then we can post it on TikTok. All they have to do is send it to us and... You know, that TikTok thing is taking off like crazy for so many people. And there's kids on there. Um, you can't reach kids that well through social media. You can reach their parents and their grandparents. But yeah. TikTok is starting to be something and Instagram too. But, um, you know, I went to the Arkansas uh, State Horse Show last weekend. And I don't know how many kids ran by. And they were TikToking. And you just see them dancing all around. And, oh, my gosh, you're TikTok famous. <laughs> So I think that's, um, you know, there's all kinds of different ideas. But like you said, Steve, it's just a matter of getting one person to do it and the chain chain reaction of events to get our contestants who, um, you know, kind of like Hunter was talking about earlier and we talked about before, it gets to be where we all have our own agenda and it's got to come together. And we have to have our own agenda. Everybody has to have a piece of the pie by all means to make it work. But trying to come together on different fronts too make it more holistic as we can. I know the, the biggest difference that I know of is, is those other associations like NBA and NFL. Obviously, those guys are making millions of dollars. So taking a day to give, while not stereotyping, it's a lot easier for them versus um, I know a lot of guys that, you know, rodeo, they probably spend that day building fence or, you know, having some sort of side business that they're trying to, you know, put food on the table. And so, I don't know, I would, like you said, Steve, too, with, I look at it if from the sponsorship standpoint, I would think doing those kind of things is as valuable or more valuable to a company than just being the guy in the arena all the time. I mean, that's, that's where the entertainment aspect comes from, but, you know. Well, you know, I, I, I'm not sure, you know, why, some companies hire certain cowboys or endorse certain cowboys. But from my own experience, if I was a company and I wanted to endorse a cowboy, it, I wouldn't care so much about my logo on his shirt in the arena that nobody can see. I'd want to know how many days a week or how many days a year can he come and meet with my sales force and motivate them or just be a nice guy at a cocktail party or something like that. Um, to, you know, if he's the right guy and he's got the right character and the right reputation, that'll make good for my company. Um, I, I think a lot of companies waste their money and don't, don't use the Cowboys enough. But I'll, I'll tell you what, all you guys, young guys that are sponsored, want sponsors as a Cowboy. Over the years, a lot of Cowboys have asked me, um, you know, that they want to put together a packet for um, sponsorship, you know, to, to sell it. And I'd say, well, send me your, your packet, what, you, what you're going to do to the, for the sponsor. And what I would get would be a sheet of paper that'd say, well, this is what my gas is, and this is what my entry fees are, and I want $45,000 a year to pay for that. And I'd call the cowboy up back, and I'd say, the sponsor doesn't, give a, doesn't have a care at all mm -hmm. for how much your gas expenses are and what your entry fees are. They're only interested in is what can you do for them. 
They're, they're, they're not, they're not giving it as a donation. They got stockholders to pay that they got to answer to. They've got to get something in return. So the cowboy has to be able to tell this is the amount of impressions I can give you in the course of the year. This is how many people are, or how many people are going to see your logo. Um, mm. I can come to your annual meeting. I can do this and this. If you've got a, a dealership in, uh, Maquoka, Iowa, and there's a rodeo there and I'm there, I'm willing to stop by that dealership and I'll even call them up a few days ahead of time so they know I'm coming and take advantage of it. That's when you're a value to the sponsor. Anything right. else, a donation. And they're, I, I guarantee you, they're not interested in donation. The only thing that, that's interested in, I can't think of anything that's interested in giving out donations. Yeah. That's like on rodeokids.com, even for our ambassadors and something that we're doing to help is with our rodeo kids ambassadors and our pony pros, they have to do monthly challenge videos. I mean, these kids are starting at five years old and once a month they are posting a video with their pony about something. It's every month's a different question. Like one month is what are three things that you do to prepare for a rodeo? What's something fun you do with your pony? Um, what's your favorite part of a rodeo outside of competing and just utilizing those things so that it's kids helping kids. And, um, you know, that's just one way to start it along with what everything you're saying so that as they grow up, they're already learning how to serve the company that is sponsoring them, not just the donation. I, I'll tell you something else, but you, you take somebody that, grew up in the sport of rodeo and was entering rat rodeos and traveling and competing and they've gone through high school rodeo and college rodeo and maybe on to, to the pros. And if they're, when their career is over with, I'm, as a businessman and from my own past experience, I'm receptive to hiring that type of person because you go, you talk, we talk about the NBA guys and the millions of dollars they got in, in the couple of days that they give to charity. Most of those guys don't have the responsibility to even take their own airline ticket to get on a plane to go to a game. You know, they've been babysat with all their life. You take somebody with the sport of rodeo, they've learned responsibility at an early age. And they, they've learned that there's, uh, you know, part of the day when you wake up in the morning, you've got a job to do that's, that's just part of your day. And work is just kind of a secondary thing to them kind of like somebody learning how to ride a bike. You learn how to ride a bike for one time and you can ride a bike for the rest of your life the same way. You learn how to work. It's not a big deal. Um, does, does that that's make sense? That's pretty powerful. I mean, well, it, but that's probably one of the, the, probably the strongest selling point for rodeo is the character development and the responsibility that is developed with these kids that you won't find in another sport. Well, animal husbandry, I mean, you know, you could be a rough stock rider, I guess, and not have that husbandry aspect, but 90% of people are going to have that, you know, like you said, the first thing I do is, since I was, and we've all done with horses, is the first thing you do is you wake up and you feed your horse. And the last yeah. thing you do before you go in for the night is take care of your animals. Like, that's your number one responsibility is the animal, and it's about something greater than yourself. And that's, and, and, and that's where it starts. Right. The, the other thing, you know... Um, I, like I always tell my trying impress upon my my grandkids, I, I tell them do it right and do it with pride. And, and if your first job of the day is to make your bed, do a good job making your bed. Everything else the rest of the day is easy. Right. If you do the first thing right. <laughs>
Yeah. And that said in that article that was written about you is the the McDonald's model. Do one thing and do it right. I uh they they wanted to Croc to uh do something other than then make hamburgers in his restaurants at one time. And he said, well, we got to learn to make hamburgers right first. So, <laughs> Yeah. Mm. Well, and I think too, like you're talking about taking care of your animals and everything. So that goes all the way back to what you said at the very beginning about empathy. Like it learn, it, it teaches you at a very young age to see what others need, even if it is an animal. But when you start with that and you learn how to communicate with something that can't talk, and then you get to build the skills to, relate that to humans as well very much so awesome well we are about out of time do you have anything else that you would like to share or any advice for youth coming up into this industry nothing specific i think it's a great opportunity if you don't become a world champion it's a great sport it's great people to be around you it's a great education i mean next next to being in the classroom it's a great education. You learn to interact with people your own age. You interact with people older. older. It, it's it's just absolutely awesome. And, and Cammy, I think what you're doing with Rodeo Kids is absolutely phenomenal. And uh, if I can help you in any way, let me know. I appreciate that. Okay, one last question. What advice? So we have lots of parents that listen to this too. So we always ask the question: What advice do you have for parents? Well, if they don't want to rope, don't make them. Mm-hmm. If if the, if the kid doesn't have an interest and he decides he wants to play basketball, heaven forbid, uh, support him in that. <laughs> Hopefully we all stick to being cowboys and cowgirls. But if it happens, it's yeah. okay. I can, uh, and I, I mean, I can attest to that. I played all the sports growing up and pursued football was kind of my thing. And it's funny how... Um, you know, once you have horses, like, I don't know if you know the Winston Churchill saying the outside of a horse is good for the inside of a man. But it's funny, like like you said, Steve, that never really leaves, though. So, um, you know, you let those kids go kind of venture off and do other things. And I think personally, it's probably really important to play a team sport because yes. that's one thing that is missing in rodeo is it's a very individualistic sport. So. Uh, it's good to have that team attitude and taught at a young age. And most people that I've seen always end up coming back to rodeo in some form or another or horses or, you know, the Western industry. They end up coming back to it. And, and it's always amazed me because in the te- you're right about the team sport and, and teaching certain things. I'm forever amazed that the people that rodeo is so humbling because it is oh, yeah. an individual sport sport that people that stay with it for so long is is almost an amazing fact mm-hmm. yeah there's definitely some passion and heart and soul behind those of us who stick with it especially for as long as you have <laughs> yes yes, yes awesome well thank you so much for being on the podcast Steve. there's i mean i learned a lot my, my pleasure like my i said pleasure. i've known you my whole life and there's so much i didn't know so uh, i i I still remember when you were little. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> As always.
always, thank you for listening to the RodeoKids.com podcast. We appreciate you more than you know. Please give us a share, give us a follow, and talk about the RodeoKids.com podcast with your friends and family because we are here to support you. And in order to keep doing that, we need support from you. So help us out and let them know about us. We also invite you to check out the website and all the cool opportunities that we have on there. And definitely, if you are a college or high school student looking to college rodeo, fill out the rodeokids.com recruit me form. It is free and it allows rodeo coaches to find you.